Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter. What we're going to start doing, and this is why I love podcasts, is you can just release them whenever. You know, people, you you know, they set their PVRs for 9 p.m. so they can tape This Is Us or whatever it is they're watching. But for podcasts, if you have the content, you can just put it out. So what we're going to start doing here on the TSN MMA Show podcast is because I usually tape with Joe a little bit later in the week, a lot of the interviews that I have for the show are already done. Uh, this week is a good example. I've got all of the interviews in the bank. So why wait until Friday to put everything out? Let's put out the interviews. And then when Joe and I do our segment, we can do a separate podcast that's you know more topic-driven, news-driven, results-driven. Whereas the podcast will be more personality-driven. So we're going to try this out for a little bit. I'd love to hear your feedback on Twitter. Would you like to hear it all as uh, one full episode when everything's done being taped? Or uh, are you okay with just interviews being released when they're released? I like to do it this way. I think that it's a good way also to you know, s- separate those who like to listen to just the more topical conversation and those who like to listen to the interviews. Um, some people like to listen to everything, and they can listen to everything. Everything will be released under the same umbrella. But uh, I think this is the way we're going to start moving forward. You know, we don't really have... Uh, the same technology that I would have if I'm at the studio, you know, a lot of the same recording technology, a lot of the different, you know, the studio and all of that. I do everything from home right now. So what we're going to do for this particular podcast is put together all of the different interviews that I've recorded over the uh, the last week or so uh, that are ready to go. You know, a lot of them are already up on tsn.ca on the uh, the video section of our website, but uh, a lot of them are, I hold on to just for the podcast. So on this particular podcast, it won't be myself and Joe. It'll be uh, all of the different interviews. So we'll, we'll play those back to back to back. You can listen to them, enjoy them. Um, I enjoy doing them. I think that uh, a lot of these particular subjects were very open about, um, you know, their mindset going into their their fights or, or what they're going through right now in life. And uh, I always find that very refreshing. You know, when I do these interviews, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll peel back uh, the curtain a little bit. I'm trying to talk to these, you know, great mixed martial artists, great athletes um, as humans. You know, I think that a lot of the time everybody gets into this rhythm of asking, you know, what's next for you? How's your weight get going? All of these different questions that are asked um, to them during fight week ad nauseum. And I think that it's more challenging for them if they get a different type of interview, an interview that kind of goes into what they're what they're going through during fight week, what they've gone through during camp, um, you know, their mindset, um, some of the different things that they do in preparation. I think that's you know a little bit more refreshing for them than you know, oh, who's next after this? They don't know who's next. They don't they don't control who's next. They just control what they're able to do this this weekend, and they and even that a lot of that is outside of their control because of what their opponent's going to throw at them. They can only control on a millisecond by millisecond basis. So I feel like asking them about things that they don't really have control of is not really fair to them and that they get asked it all the time so you know you'll notice that with a lot of these interviews uh this week and just going forward that i'm trying to take a little bit of a different approach i I feel like people are starting to get bored of a lot of the same interview subject interview you know a lot of the same um drama that's trying to get drummed up where you know you're asking about Oh, what do you think of this guy? What do you think of that guy? And, you know, a lot of it is for promotional material. I, I think that's fine. I think that there, there is merit to that. And uh, it's just, I feel like a lot of the time the athletes probably get tired of saying the same thing over and over and ask, answering the same question. So 
I'm trying to keep it fresh. And if you have any suggestions for me, I'm always open to them. Feel free to just send me a direct message on Twitter or Instagram or however you want to reach out to me. I'm always open to any sort of feedback you might have, um, whether it's this podcast format or uh, interview style, anything along those lines. I, I, I really do appreciate any constructive criticism you might have. Um, you know, name calling won't be tolerated, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I do appreciate any genuine feedback that I can get uh, for this show, for my coverage, anything along those lines, truly. So let's get to uh, this week's guest. Instead of me being the star right now, this, let's go to the real stars, the, the guests of this show. And I'll, I'll give you a rundown of who we have on this week's show. We've got uh, a bunch of legends, actually. We've got the, you know, perhaps the, the biggest legend in the sport, the, perhaps the greatest mixed martial artist of all time, George St. Pierre, joins us. You might have already seen this interview. It's been on YouTube, tsn.ca, but uh, if you haven't, you'll get a chance to listen to it here. Um, I like to give people that opportunity. You know, a lot of the times I see people release just, just a video component of the interview, I'm more into audio. I, I love, um, you know, being able to walk my dog, go outside with my kids, and and you know have have one earphone in for content and one one with no earphones so I can hear what's going on uh, in case uh, anything is needed. But uh, I prefer listening to interviews rather than watching them. That's just a, I guess a personal preference. So I like to give people both options uh, if possible. I also speed my podcasts up. I, I like to listen. I listen to more podcasts than I'm comfortable to admit, honestly, in terms of MMA. It occupies much of my time. Just I consider it part of my job, just studying, listening to other people's, how other people conduct interviews, listening to what the, uh, the fighters are saying, and trying to really dive deep into the sport, you know, as it is my job to cover it. So uh, on top of George St. Pierre, we also have interviews with the two main event combatants for this weekend's card, Corey Sanhagen and Marlon Marais, uh, as well as a newcomer, KB Buller, undefeated Canadian, who will be facing Tom Breeze, who will also be on the show. So we have KB Buller, Tom Breeze, and uh, a special interview as well with Ken Shamrock, who joins us uh, on this week's show. So uh, a very stacked show. You're probably going to get uh, at least a good hour of interviews here. And uh, then myself and Joe will tape uh, our topical discussion tomorrow and get that out for you as well. And on top of that, if you're interested in uh, breakdowns of the card... Right before the early prelims begin, I jump on Periscope with uh, Dan Tom, and you can watch that uh, that preview uh, for the uh, 20, 30 minutes right before the early prelims start. I know you already have a long night ahead of you with MMA content, and uh, I always appreciate those who jump on uh, to get their appetite wet for that particular card. So uh, we'll play the interviews in this order. you got George St. Pierre, Corey Sandhagen, Marlon Reich, KB Buller, Tom Breeze, and Cherry on Top, Ken Shamrock. And that's all coming at you right now here on the TSN MMA Show. We'll start with the legend, George Rush St. Pierre. I'm now joined by the champ champ, George St. Pierre, who I'm proud to now call a colleague at RDS. You know, during your career, George, sometimes you said you hated working with the media. Now you're one of us. How are you enjoying that experience? I enjoyed the enemy camp. <laughs> I loved it, man. <laughs> I, I love to be part of the team, and I'm glad to still be involved with the sport. So you get to put your analyst hat on now. I mean, we have such big cards coming up, especially Khabib versus Justin Gaethje. When you look at that fight, how do you see it going? It's very, very stark contrast in fighters. Yeah, man, you, you, you can't uh, put your money against Khabib because he's undefeated. He's, I think he's the best right now on, in the sport. Uh, but uh, yeah, Justin can cause a problem. And the, the beauty of the sport is that we never know. That's why the fight is going to happen. You know, everything can happen. So uh, 
I think if someone can beat uh, Khabib, it's Justin. So uh, it's going to be a, as a fan, and uh, I want to see that fight for sure. And I'll be there um, uh, as an analyst commentator uh, on the sports channel FDS to, to do the job as well, live. Do you think it's possible for somebody to be able to control their nerves if they're going into a fight with Justin Gaethje, knowing his style? Well, control the nerves. Everybody reacts in different ways uh, in a moment of, uh, of, of high pressure, you know? Some it elevate them, uh, some it make them underperform. So it depends to every individual, you know? It's all up here. It's all in the mind, how you prepare yourself. And when you prepare yourself for a fight, it's not only physical, it has to be mental as well. You know, it's the question everybody's wondering about is uh, whether or not you're going to make your long-awaited return to the Marvel Universe. Is that going to happen? I, I've seen some pictures that, that might suggest such a thing. Yeah, now, uh, I mean, um, contractually, unfortunately, I can't talk too much about these, this project. But yeah, my, my, uh, some leak came out and uh, I can't deny it. There, there's, a, there's a big project going on that I was working on. It's going to be out in 2021 if everything goes according to plan. Well, it's on IMDb now, George, so there's no hiding from it. Now it's official. Oh, it is. Okay. So that's why I, I was <laughs> late in the news. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's nice to see. You know, my, my son always says, uh, you know, he doesn't get excited. He doesn't watch the UFC or anything. He's, he's almost 10 years old, but he's excited that I, when I told him I met Batroc the Leaper, he was very excited about that. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know, it, it's a different world. I remember I went to Comic-Con to sign some uh, autograph and, and stuff like that. And some people recognized me as, hey, this is George. This is Batroc the Leaper. And I'm, I was like, hey, you know, I, I was world champion in MMA as well, you know, <laughs> but it's a two different world, you know, so um, that's why I like it so much. You know, it allowed me to play a villain and um, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun, you know, because in real life I try to be a good role model, but when I, when I play a villain, I, I can let, let it loose. Another thing you're doing right now is you're working with O2 Respirators. It's a company that just partnered with the UFC. Um, it's, I guess, masks for, you know, fitness, helping with fitness. If you could walk me through it, you're a better uh, person to discuss this than I am uh, because you're officially working with these guys. Yeah, the, these masks, I'm happy it's made in Canada. And also they work with the, the Army, the, the U.S. and the, the Canadian forces. So uh, they're very professional. It's the best quality mask that, that there is on the market. And I'm very happy because I'm working with them to develop a, a sport performance respirator. Because now the COVID, the crisis, the athlete, in, in, when it came out, will be able to to train uh, in a, with with a secure equipment and uh, to protect themselves and protect others. So I'm very excited, and I'm working with them to develop that project. Well, I saw that it's only about $300. I mean, when you look at what gyms are trying to do right now to, to safeguard themselves from COVID, is this something that they, could, they should recommend to people that are working out in gyms or in, in martial arts facilities? Yeah, every sport is different. You know, in, in, in fighting, I believe it's pretty hard to keep social distancing uh, while you're training, especially, for example, grappling sports. So you need to, to have another option. You know, you need to maybe... I developed a mask, and that's what we're doing now. We're going to develop the mask that will, you'll be able to not only 
practice martial art, but any sport that you will be uh, that will uh, that you will be safe and and safe for others as well. I saw a recent interview with you with uh, BT Adam Catterall, and you, you were talking about how you wanted to take your hiatus from the sport after you fought. Uh, Nick Diaz, not after you fought Johnny Hendricks, but you had told Johnny that you were going to face him and you decided to do one more uh, under the agreement that you guys would have with Vada, but that ended up falling apart. You also mentioned that you would have probably come back sooner had you taken the break earlier. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that perhaps you might have taken a shorter hiatus uh, had you left a little bit earlier than you did? Yeah, I, I, it was a different time. I was pretty burned out and I was ashamed to admit it at the time because... To me, it was a shame because I was wealthy, I was healthy, and you know, I was doing the job that I wanted to do, but I had so much pressure for so long and personal problem on top of that. For me, it was too much of a shame to admit that I was in some kind of depression. And I'm sure if I would have uh, take my hiatus after Nick Diaz fight, I would have come back earlier. You know, it was a, a men my mental state was not right at the time. And a little bit like I, I what encouraged me to talk about it now, it's a, the, the heavyweight champion, uh, Tyson Fury, he talks about it. You know, he had like, a, everything was going well. It, it, it's not that everything was going well for me at the time, but I felt that I, at the time I had personal issues too, but I was world champion. So to the eyes of people, oh, he's gonna complain because he's, uh, you know, he's healthy, he's wealthy, he's champion, you know, what he has to complain for. But people don't know really what happened in, in everyday's life and it's all chemical in the brain and stuff. So I was a little bit of a shame, but I was not in a happy place at the time. So I should have retired uh, earlier and maybe I would have come back sooner. That's what I believe. But things turns out well anyway, well, so I cannot. Absolutely. He ended up uh, winning another belt in the process. But, you know, they say it's lonely at the top. And you mentioned that because Tyson Fury was comfortable talking about it, you became comfortable talking about it. And that kind of seems to be how the stigma around depression and, and mental illness um, is going by the wayside. When, when people see others who they perceive to be the strongest people in the world talk about something that they're going through, it really helps them along. So what exactly were you going through at that time? Like what, what kind of struggles were you going through on a day-to-day -day basis in order to A, prepare for Hendrix and B, just get through uh, life one day at a time? Yeah, I was training because I had to, not because I wanted to. And also, um, yeah, it's, it's this stigma that oh, uh, when everything appears to go well, it doesn't mean that it goes well, you know what I mean? Uh, what I show in front of the camera, what, what most people show in, in public, it's their good side. They don't want to show their bad side because it's it's in public, you know. And I'm no different than any other people, you know, in front of cameras and, and, and in interviews and stuff. I always try to, to be a good role model. Uh, but at the time, I had a lot of pressure. I was fighting against the, the performance-enhancing uh, drug in, in the sport and also the fact that at the time, UFC and, and my opponent did, did not support me and, and I had personal issues in my life on top of that. So it's not because my life looked glamorous and, and nice that everything was nice inside. And I was ashamed to talk about it because um, to me, I was stuck, I would say, maybe in this kind of stigma like everybody else that, oh, I'm not supposed to be... Uh, depressed in the situation that I am because I have everything I, I, I need. So I was a little bit of a shame and um, 
I regret that a little bit. I should have. Uh, that's one thing I regret is I should have uh, stand up for myself and and um, maybe not take the fight, just give away the belt, and I would have come back sooner. But maybe at the time people would not have understood. And um, it's guys like Tyson Fury is a great role model that give me and I'm sure other people the courage to come forward and talk about it. And is a lot of that ego-driven, you, you know, the perception that you feel people will have about you if you come out and say, listen, I'm struggling through something, I'm going to walk away for some time, I need some time to myself, you know, deep down inside, is, is that something that you worried about in terms of how people would see you? Yeah, my, my, my public life, it's my, my, my professional life, my career, it's a public life. And that's what people see. They see my achievement, how hard I work. And their perception is everything goes well. But for me, my, my real life, my private life is my, my, my family, my friend, what's going on inside. And this, I never let the, the public know about it because the only part of me that, this, that, that I wanted to be public, it's my, my work, my career. I don't want to expose anybody else that doesn't deserve or doesn't need to be exposed for any reason to protect them. So things was not were not going well um, privately, you know, and, and I had a lot of issues and it affected me. I, I believe for an athlete, it's like a triangle, you know, like you have the, the physical, if you get hurt physically, you can underperform. You have the technical, you know, technical, it's all your knowledge, you know, for a fighter, it's, you know, the arm bars, the, the leg locks, uh, takedowns, your kicks, your knowledge in terms of weaponry. Uh, and if you don't have that, you cannot perform. And also the, the emotional side, it's very important. And sometimes being on over, being uh, overtrained, we call that, oh, you're overtrained. I don't believe it exists, but what can affect that and give you a under under underperform is the fact that one of these three things, either you endure, maybe you're, you don't know a certain technique to, to achieve, or you may be emotionally unstable. And for me, during that time, it was my life, my private life, I was emotionally unstable, and it was affecting me, not only in, in my sport, in my life, in my performance, and my preparation for my fight against Hendricks. And it is what it is, but I bowed, I bite down my mouthpiece, I went through it, and, and uh, you know, I said to myself, I'm going to go all in, and after that, I couldn't took it anymore. And I was, uh, after the fight, I was happy I won, but I was, you know, I was not in a happy place. When you were on your hiatus, was there ever a time where you were very close to coming back, where they had offered you a fight, you looked at it and you said, maybe now is the right time? Which fights were offered to you during that time away? Are there any that you actually had a contract for, where you said, I've got to take more time? I think, I think right after I left, I, I, I just wanted to leave the sport. I was tired. I was like, I think Dana White called me to fight Anderson Silva or like a, like a, a few weeks after but it was not the time. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was, I would not have fought nobody. Like, not even if you would have put me with, uh, like, a, a, like a crazy good purse or uh, like not, nothing. I mean, I, I would not have fought nobody at that time. I was not mentally uh, sound to fight. And I just wanted to get away, took care of my problems. And I was able to, to live a, to live a different life and uh, do there's different things that I didn't have the time to do during the time that I was busy fighting.
and um, I'm happy. It, it, the, the break that 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 I took allowed me to come back stronger, and and I'm very glad I did it. I just I just wish I would have done it a little bit sooner, so I could have come back earlier. You know, it seems like Dana White during that whole hiatus would often say, George is retired, George doesn't want to fight. He always says, George doesn't want to fight. He said it as recently as this past weekend, or last week when he was asked about uh, what Khabib's going to do after Justin Gaethje. George doesn't want to fight. Did that ever annoy you, hearing that line? Because he said it so many times. And, you know, obviously you've got to chalk it up to it being a negotiating ploy and trying to actually get you to come out of retirement. But how much did that annoy you then, and does it still annoy you now? Well, it's normal. Dana does. Dana is the best promoter in the world. He's the best. There is no no other promoter as good as Dana White. I don't care if you talk about any other sport, boxing. Dana can sell. He can sell ice to an Eskimo. You know, he, he, he can. He's so good. He's so good at, at driving people to watch the event and and even fighters. He's very good at saying stuff publicly that fighters get. Uh, their ego hurts and want to come back just to prove a point, even it, if it's if it logically doesn't make any sense. That's his job, and that's why he's the best in the world at doing it. He serves his own purpose, and I serve mine. And um, but he doesn't know what's going on up here in my mind, you know. Like like uh, he can't decide for 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 myself. I hate to ask you about coming back for the Khabib fight. Has there been any talks about it? Is it even in the back of your head at all? I, it has to come up every interview, and I, I hate to do it because you change every day. Every, people are, are, you know, we, we, move, we change our, our opinions on things every day. We change our mind on things every day. I'm guessing that as time goes by, it becomes less and less and less likely because, you know, as you get older, you probably are getting more and more comfortable in retirement. You've got so many things on the go that are making you happy in life. You know, why step back into that, uh, into the pressure cooker when you don't have to? But uh, anything, anything new to report, basically. Yeah, why step back in? But why not step back in? We only live once. <laughs> so that's the question that I'm facing now, you know. If I have an opportunity to do it and all the stars are aligned, and I don't do it because I, I still got it now, you know, I'm still, I would say still in, in my best year. Would I, re, will, will I regret when I reach 50 years old? Will I tell myself, oh, I wish I would have done that and I did not do it. It was an opportunity on, of a lifetime to fight a guy who's undefeated, who's never been beat and I could have been the first. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like now it's COVID, of course the situation is different, but when I train, I still get it. I'm very confident, and if you would ask me right during training or before training, hey, would you like to fight again? I would be like, yeah, let's do it, I'm, I'm down. But then after I go home and everything, and I, you know, I'm, after a hot shower that you go home, things come down, the, the adrenaline come down, and you ask me, hey, would you like to fight? And I, I'm like, oh. I don't know. I'm not sure about it. You know, like I'm good where I am. I'm comfortable. I'm, I'm kind of satisfied. You know what I mean? Satisfaction for an athlete is the death. Is that you're done. You're, you're finished when you're satisfied. So in order to come back, I would, I'm in a mental state of mind that I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, it, it, the star would need to be all aligned perfectly. Uh, two years ago when I, more than two years ago, it's, it's, it's already almost three years, we tried to make the fight with Khabib. 
I wanted to go all in. I was ready for it. Anything goes, you know, I was all in. Now things have changed. Three years have goes by, COVID and all that. I, 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 I kind of uh, let go of the idea of, of coming back to fight. Uh, you know what I mean? So I would need to put me back into a different warrior mode up here. Because when I fight, my brain doesn't function the same way than when I'm in normal life, you know, like I'm, I'm very, maybe it's because of my obsessive compuls compulsive uh, thing that I'm, I'm so focused on it, like almost nothing else matter. I'm only focused on one thing, it's to win and what I need to do to win, it's, I need to achieve it, achieve it and do it at all costs. So I would need to rewire my, myself if I get to fight again. So the message to Dana White is get a spy in at TriStar, and as soon as George is about to go in for a sparring session, get him on the phone. That's the key for Dana White right now if he's watching. Yeah, it's to get me in the good timing, and also that the star <laughs> needs to be aligned. And then, you know, there's a lot of uh, infrastructure problems and, and uh, you know, the weight class, the, the you know, the, 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 he's fighting at 155. I, I know I can go at 155, but the problem is, my, I believe now I'm 39. I'm, 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 it's three years I've passed, and I, I haven't cut weight for a long time. You know, if I go down to 155, my my performance will be compromised. And I know Khabib is about the same size as me. He's maybe bigger than me when he's off season. I never go up to 200. I'm up, I'm 185. So that's it. it. Turns to his advantage. If if we cut more weight, he's able to bounce back more than I am. He's used to it. I've never been a big fan of cutting weight. Even when I was a welterweight, I was 185. Most guys now are much bigger than 185. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's one of the, the the principle of the art of war. You know, know the terrain. And I don't know. I never fought at 155. He knows. So I believe to make it fair, we need to fight in a, in a place where we've never been, both of us. So that could be that would that would have to be a condition to 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 me coming back if it happened. Well, in the meantime, it's nice to have you as part of the extended TSN family over at RDS, two division champion, going into the Hall of Fame this year. There's nobody who is as big of a lock to go into the Hall of Fame as you are, and uh, I always appreciate your time. It's great catching up with you. Hi, uh, thank you, Aaron. It's good to see you. Take care of yourself, and thanks for for everything. I'm joined now by one half of the main event this weekend. It's Corey Sanhagen who will be facing off against Marlon Moraes. You're in Fight Island. It's 4.30 a.m. when we're doing this interview. You've been sleeping uh, based on a very interesting schedule. Walk us through that. Yeah, uh, usually about like 3 p.m. till about midnight is what I'm shooting for. Um, and yeah, it actually hasn't been too bad. You know, like it feels pretty normal as long as you kind of stay on that schedule. It hasn't been terrible. And uh, yeah, it's, it's all good. I spoke to Marlon, I guess it's yesterday for you, today for me, uh, and I mentioned to him, I think that he has been slighted a little bit, not because he's facing you, of course, but because the guy who he beat got the last title shot at Piotr Jan, and the guy who he beat in vicious fashion, Aljamain Sterling, is getting the next title shot. It seems like Marlon is like the odd man out here. Do you feel for him as well? I do, actually. You know, um, when they told me that I was fighting Marlon, I was pretty surprised, um, only because I didn't think that they would do that matchup, and... Uh, especially just because of the way that the fight went and I did so terribly that uh, they wouldn't give me a main event on Ab in Abu Dhabi on Fight Island. And 
uh, definitely not against the number one contender. So um, it kind of, I mean, it worked out really well for me. I, I, I do kind of feel for Marlon on, on that end, but uh, it's not really the time for feeling for Marlon this week. You know, it's, it's time for, uh, for me to do my thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, he is, you know, uh, those, those are unfortunate, those things. I don't know if you look at betting odds, but you're also favored over Marlon. Did that surprise you? Uh, had you heard that? Yeah, someone told me that yesterday. Yeah, it's surprising. Um, yeah, uh, I guess it just kind of goes to show that people are understanding of like, hey, like off nights happen, and uh, and that's okay, you know. So, so that was a that was a, it was a pleasant surprise, I suppose. But I don't really, you know, I don't really care too much about the odds and all of that jazz. You said off nights happen. Did anything happen that day, that you know, that night when you were walking to the cage? Any little thing that might have made you not perform at your best that night? Yeah, I mean, just too calm. You know, like uh, I, I didn't have enough experience, I suppose, in the sport to uh, to know that I needed to be way more intense and, and way more higher on the arousal continuum. And um, that's kind of just an experience thing. I thought that because I had had so many fights and I was doing so well and uh, um, I didn't need to get to that point before that fight. And, uh, that was just a, a silly mistake. And it's one that you can't really learn in any other way, which is unfortunate, but, uh, that's how it goes in this sport. Like you don't, you know, it's a tough sport and that's how you learn your lessons. And, um, I'm really excited because it made me a much better fighter and I'll never let that happen again. I heard an interview you did with James Lynch. You were also talking about the arousal continuum as if everybody's heard of this. So can you walk us through what the arousal continuum is and when you learned about uh, this particular theory? Yeah, so it's a sports psychology term. Uh, I, I've been working with a sports psych for maybe the last four years now, my, my uh, sports psych, Joey. Um, but yeah, so uh, I mean, everyone performs well depending on where their arousal is, right? So like uh, if 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 you're a guy that needs to be way more on the right side of the intensity part and, and that's where you do best and you know that about yourself, then that's where you need to put yourself before you walk out. And uh, some other guys do a lot better on, on being a little bit more on the left side where they're being really cerebral and they're being uh, uh, more capable of, I guess, thinking, I guess you, you could say. And um, some people do better in that area, you know, and you, you throughout the sport, you kind of have to figure out where, where you do best. And, um, and I learned a lot about where I do best and it's, it's definitely more on the right side than, it, than it was than on, on that last night. So do you, have you put pen to paper for this? Like, do you have the continuum written out and you make like a little dot as to where you should be or, or hope to be on that night? And if so, uh, where, where should you be? Um, I guess on that, uh, that chart. Yeah, so I suppose uh, I do have that in my mind, you know, like it's it's definitely a feeling thing. It's like um, you, you get there by uh, doing breathing exercises and certain affirmations and things like that that kind of put you in what they call the zone, you know. Um, and yeah, so it's just, it's just a feel thing and uh, it's a skill in its own and um, in fighting you have to show up on the night that you have to fight and if you, you know, like. That, that that's your competition day that's the day that matters and uh being able to do that is a skill in its own and i've actually really appreciated uh learning about where i do best because a lot uh, i was doing all of them before the hard sparring sessions and before like hard training sessions where 
even if I didn't feel like training that day, which, you know, in fight camp happens often, I, I made myself go there because on fight night, that could potentially be an issue again. And uh, me figuring out where I do the best is is uh, is important, you know, and I, I, did, I, I took that a little bit for granted before. And now I understand like, hey, this is where you perform well. And regardless of what is going on, you're going to put yourself there as best you can. And um, that's going to make me just a way better fighter. So let's go back to that, that last fight then. So on fight night, where were you at? Like when you look back on that, where, where were you at on that night where you, know, where you wouldn't want to be going into this weekend's fight? I mean, it's not about making excuses. People always say, oh, I don't want to make excuses. But, you know, obviously little things can affect someone's performance that night. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they should have won the fight, but they could have done a better job had certain things aligned. Sure, yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, I don't want it to definitely seem like I'm making an excuse. I, it was a mistake on my part. Aljamain did a, a really good job capitalizing on that, and um, and he had more experience, and he was a better fighter on that night. And uh, he was he 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 was a really experienced guy, you know, and um, he knew what he was doing. He he knows where he performs well, and uh, he jumped on me right off the bat. And and all credit to him, you know. Um, I think maybe I was just a little bit uh, overconfident going into that fight, and I think that that probably was a part of the uh, the, the feelings of uh, calmness, you know. Um, and I think that being a little bit overconfident is definitely the worst place to be before you walk out into a fight um, because it will make you really calm and it won't make you as sharp. You know, you, you have to understand that there's danger when you walk into the cage, and uh, that danger is very real danger. And... Uh, if, if you're not capable of uh, addressing that danger and being in a headspace where you're going to address it the best that you can, then you're going to have a bad night. You said earlier you've been working with a sports psychologist for four years. Now, you're a young guy. You're, you know, that's a very evolved thing to do is to realize that that can help you early on. Usually it takes a moment in your career where you're like, well, hey, maybe I need to improve this and this and this, and then you go to the sports psychologist. What made you go to a sports psychologist so early into your professional mixed martial arts career? Uh, is when I la when I lost my first fight actually, um, because that felt like another one of those things where it was like, man, I lost because uh, my my mind, you know, like my head. Uh, I, I back then it was because I couldn't turn it off, um, and uh, and so yeah, that that's kind of what started me working with the sports psych, and I think it's really unfortunate. I, I'm really lucky because. Uh, my sports psych Joey Fritz is is really good, and uh, he was really understanding because in MMA you don't have a lot of money uh, in the beginning, um, and he was really understanding and still willing to work with me throughout all of that. And um, I just got very fortunate in that aspect because I mean a lot of guys don't really have the resources to do that, and um, and it's it's incredibly important, man. It's it's incredibly incredibly important. So are you paying the interest now? <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we have something worked out. <laughs> I figured as much. Well, I mean, that's nice of him to take you on early. And hopefully other uh, young athletes in the sport can find somebody like that because, I mean, that's a real gift to be able to have that so early in your career and be able to work through those things. Um, so, you know, people always ask about game plans going into a fight. I feel like at Bantamweight and Featherweight... And, you know, I spoke to Marlon about this as well. It's like everybody is so well-rounded that you're not, you're not going against anybody who's like, oh, this guy's a great grappler. I need to, like, keep it, on the, on, you know, keep it standing. It's almost like you just have to get in there and feel it out. Is, is that kind of what the strategy is for any of these fights against the top guys in this division? 
I think that there's definitely certain things that guys do better than the other guys in the division. Um, Marlon's really explosive. He's really athletic, and uh, and he has a lot of experience. Um, that being said, he hasn't fought in a really long time, so who knows what type of tools he's he's put on his tool belt since then. So I'm anticipating uh, a different Marlon than what we've seen in the past, and I'm expecting to, for him to be really good, and I'm expecting uh, if it needs to be a really tough fight, a really tough fight, and uh, I'm I'm fully on board with however ugly it gets or whatever, like. I'm there for it, and uh, I'll do whatever it takes so that I don't have to take that 16-hour flight home a loser, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I've spoken to uh, your – I've told you this story a bunch of times, but your striking coach is Jorge Lopez. Have I got the name right? Uh, my striking coach? Yeah. At Team Elevation? Oh, no. Uh, no, so my striking coach is Christian Allen. Okay, who am I thinking? Who is, who's Curtis Blade's uh, striking coach? Uh, Vinny Lopez. Vinny Lopez. Okay, so that, that's the name I was thinking of. Yeah. I interviewed Vinny Lopez, and he said your striking was a uh, ten out of ten. He compared it to like basically said you were on, on par with John Jones at your division in terms of striking. Do you feel like we haven't seen that yet? Like that in the UFC, you haven't been able to put on uh, a ten out of ten performance in the striking realm, uh, and that there's a lot more of you that that we just have yet to see in terms of your talents. Yeah, likely so. Um, I think uh, I think I got kind of like push to the top really quickly and um i mean my first my first fight i i would argue was extremely uh good in the striking area um tko in the second uh against uh alcantara that one obviously didn't start off very good so i didn't get to show show a ton of striking in there but uh then you look at the mario batista fight where i did get a jiu-jitsu finish but it was after dropping him with with my striking um and then against John Lineker, who's maybe one of the better strikers in the division, uh, really close fight. But I feel like I, I still did a really good job controlling that entire fight. And then a Sun Sal, I don't really know that he even hit me too many times. Um, so I think that it's more of a it's more of a thing where I think everyone associates with these these huge knockouts with being a good striker, and um, those come on their own. But uh, for me, it's more about like I'm extremely elusive and uh, I'm very hard to hit and I don't take a lot of damage in my fights. So um, I think that that kind of gets a little bit underappreciated with the with the fans of MMA and uh, not that it, I, I put too much value on that. But uh, I think in time, you know, when the knockouts start to come and people start to really appreciate like, wow, this guy doesn't really get hit that much, um, people will, will take more of an appreciation for it. And this is a five-round fight, and that works to your favor and, I guess, to your disadvantage. I mean, you, you put on a really fast pace, uh, you know, a lot of volume. Um, you make people really work. Um, do you have to slow that down over the course of five rounds? And then on the flip side of that, we saw Marlon's last two performances, and it seemed like he was, you know, running out of gas, you know, in the third round. So, so that probably works to your advantage. But do you think that five rounds is, is to your benefit going into this? I, I would say definitely. Um... I'm going to wear on him, man. You know, like I, I'm going to, I'm going to be there for this fight. And, uh, there, there will be, obviously you need, I need to be very, uh, cautious about the power that he brings, especially in the, in the first few rounds. But, um, you know, I, I think that I have a pretty significant edge over him in that area and, and, uh, fighting a tired guy is way easier than fighting a fresh guy. And, uh, I'm excited for five rounds and I, I think that, uh, I'm going to do really well. You said you were surprised 
to get this fight against Marlon. What was your expectation? What, what did you think was going to be next for you? I had no idea. You know, um, I didn't know. I thought the UFC was going to go in two directions. I thought that they were either going to do uh, just kind of brush me off to the side and kind of use me as a, as a, you know, like, Hey, let's, let's bump this guy back. Or they were going to kind of push me forward again. And, uh, it was just, you know, it was, it was a nice, pleasant surprise. And, and I'm one of those guys that probably, uh, you know, lets himself prepare himself for the worst so that when the, when the best happens then it's, it's a little bit, uh, of a greater feeling. And, uh, I was prepared for them to kind of, uh, uninvest in me and uh, it looks like that my stock is still just as high and uh, I'm grateful for them for that. Yeah, I mean, essentially with a win here, you're right in the title mix. Aljamain's going to get his crack at uh, Jan. Uh, I heard this week that 2021 is when they're looking for that fight. I don't know what the, the holdup is uh, for that particular fight. Maybe you have more information on that than I do. But uh, if you do get a win here against Marlon, do you expect to fight once more before you do get put into that position? Likely. Um... But maybe not, man. You know, like I, I think that Mar- Marlon has a lot of respect in the sport. You know, like uh, I think people know Marlon is good, and uh, and he's and he's not washed up, and he's not old. Like the guy is in his prime, and he's good. You know, so I think I go out and I put on the performance that I know that I'm capable of putting on. Um, whether that be a finish or whether it just be me outclassing him, I think that it's going to open up a lot of eyes and it's going to show people how good I really am. And um, and uh, I think that my stock is going to go way up after after this fight. And I'm excited to, you know, to to be able to say that I beat one of the best guys in the UFC while he was at his prime. Well, yeah, there's no up for Marlon Moraes. Like if you beat Marlon Moraes, <laughs> there's nobody between him, Aljamain and the champion. Right. So like if we're talking Mortal Kombat here and you're moving up to each each potential uh, opponent, you know, there's there's really nobody else on that ladder that you could face that would be a step up in competition. Yep, you're right. So I don't know. I guess I guess we'll see what they do afterwards. Maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised, and uh, and you know who who knows what's going to happen. But it also at the same time, if they're if they're trying to target 2021, I don't really want to sit on the bench until those two guys are done fighting either. So uh, I mean, Frankie came off a really impressive win. So maybe Frankie TJ comes back in January. Maybe TJ. Um, so you know, I'm kind of I, I I'm. I'm not too interested in just sitting on the bench until those guys are ready to fight for a second time, especially if it's already taken forever for these two to to, to get at it. Yeah, people forget about TJ, and uh, you've trained with TJ before, and I, I heard that you did well in those uh, those training sessions. I know people don't really talk about training, but from what I understand, he was very frustrated working with you. Um, yeah, me and TJ, you know, we, we were training partners. Uh, um, I had my good days, and he had his good days, and... Uh, yeah. You're very humble. You need to get further on the arousal continuum when you give me an answer about uh, your, your, your contests against TJ Dillashaw in the gym. But I understand that there's a code. I understand. Uh, well, Corey, yeah. I appreciate this. Thank you for your time as always. And best of luck in the, uh, the main event against Marlon Rice this weekend. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot. Uh, yeah, I appreciate talking to you. I'm now joined by Magic. Marlon Rice is in the main event against Corey Sandhagen this Saturday night. It airs on TSN. Uh, always appreciate your time, Marlon. I'm wondering, how is everything for you out there? I know that you have to adjust to a new sleep schedule and make sure that you're okay for the timing of the main event. Man, thanks for having me here. You know, 
and the UFC and, and all the employees there doing amazing job getting us here, getting us safe, taking care of us, you know, and we, we just, that's our job, you know, we have to adjust to the times, but we can, we can get sleep, you know, and, and I think everybody's getting all support from the UFC. Now, I was on an interview yesterday with uh, Jimmy Smith, who used to do commentary for the, uh, the UFC. And I was telling him, I thought you've been wronged in this situation. You beat Jose Aldo. There's no question about whether who won that fight on the judges' scorecards. And they gave Jose the title shot, and they're, they're still making you fight all of these tough guys to get back into title contention, when really, it should be your title shot. You're the number one contender. You beat Aldo. You haven't fought Piotr Jan yet. I'm just wondering if you feel the same way. I did, you know, but we have to 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 tell ourselves the real situation and we have to live it and he got the fight and i could do i couldn't do anything and i'm not trash talking i'm not going to keep saying stuff talking about the other contenders i'm happy you know we got a new champion we got challenges and we got sterling like in a tear you know doing amazing looking great we got uh Sandy Hagen to we got all their guys, you know, and that's so new challenges, new fights. And I got the opportunity to fight him. And he's one of the best, in my opinion. And let's go, man. Let's put two of the best of the division and see who's the best in this fight and see what's in, what's going to happen next. But people have a short-term memory. You know, you mentioned Aljamain Sterling. Everybody says, oh, this guy should get the title shot. They should get the title shot. He looked impressive against Sandhagen, but you looked more impressive against Sterling than he did against Sandhagen. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. I had a great performance with him, and and he's a good fighter too. You know, I'm not gonna try to take anything away from him. As a fighter, as a competitor, I I give him a lot of respect. And man, let's see, let's see. Uh, I want to fight those guys, man. We we fought in a little bit and. To be honest, I'm, I'm not a tiny bit scared to fight him again or fight Peter Young. And, and I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, I'm pumped. I missed the fight. I missed the octagon. And Saturday night is another opportunity to go in there, do what I love, and do, do what I do. And you can expect a very good fight because I'm ready. Yeah, you don't strike me as somebody who's afraid to fight people. That, that, I don't get that vibe from you. Uh, so, obviously, Sanhagen is your, your number one priority, but was there a time where you had to talk to yourself and say, listen, you know, this is all going to work out, it's all going to work out because of how long it's taking for you to get back into a title shot while, while you're seeing people that you've already beaten get a title shot? Ah, man, you know, I don't want to cry anymore about anything. I have such a great opportunity to fight. I have a fight Saturday, you know, and, and this is what I need. I need a platform and I need an opportunity. I need an opponent. And we got everything to work out. And let's go, man. Let's do it Saturday. And Corey said that he was actually surprised that they called him to fight you. They, he thinks it's a great opportunity for him and was surprised that after his loss, he was given such a, an, another high-caliber opponent like yourself. What do you think of Corey and his style? It's very awkward, and he's got a lot of tools. Yes, he's he's awkward fighter. He's good everywhere. His last fight was too fast, you know. Uh, we can't judge him for that. We we got to judge him for the performances he put before. And he always bring it in. He He's a tough guy. He's a tough guy to, to take away. And I, I, I am prepared. And I did all my camp thinking I'm fighting the best guy in the world. And, man, I'm taking it serious and I'm ready. I'm, I'm feeling, like, better than I ever been. I can't wait to step in there 
and show everyone. When you see him lose to Sterling with a choke like that, that's very similar to the one that you put on uh, Rafael Asuncao. Uh, did you think about that when you saw him get trapped in that kind of a, of a submission, one that you're accustomed to? Fights, it's, it's, it's like a chess mat. You move something wrong and the guy moved the right, you probably, the fight is over. And in a, in a mixed martial arts, you have grappling, you have wrestling, you have striking, and you have to be ready everywhere. And and one mistake, everything's done. And I train to use it and capitalize every every mistake in this fight. Striking, grappling, I'm ready, and I can't wait to perform. If you get a win this weekend, are you planning on, on waiting to see what happens with the title fight before you accept another fight? Are you looking for that to be your next move? No, I lived that life for, for a long time, man. My goal right now in the UFC, it's getting there put the best performance I can ever do, and move it on. Let's go. Who's next? I don't care who. I just want to keep active, and I keep fighting. You know, I know the UFC need good fights, and I'm, a, I'm one of the best fighters in my division. If they keep, give, they keep giving me fights, I'm going to take it. I never said no. Every time I fought for the UFC, I fought top eight guys, and I never got an easy fight. I never said no, and... I will never do that. Is it nice to have Edson out there with you, a training partner of yours both in New Jersey and now in Florida? Uh, he's got a fight coming up. Yeah, me and Edson, we, we know each other for 20 years. You know, we start together in Brazil and we've been competing for our li- all our lives together uh, alongside. So it's, it's, it's amazing for me. Uh, when I sign with the UFC, uh, I always dream, man, I want one day fight Sam Card Edson. Here it is, you know, the opportunity is here. We're three days apart. Let's enjoy it. Let's live it. And let's do it. The last time I saw you after you beat Aldo, uh, Edson was there with you. And I looked at him and I said, this guy looks like he he could fight at welterweight. He's a big guy. And then he decided to move down to 145. Are you surprised Edson could get down to that weight? Yeah, I feel like Edson can fight in in the three divisions. He can fight 45, 55, and 70. And and I was surprised, but he kind of made it look easy. He he's doing that thing right, you know. He's very close to the weight, and 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 he was looking good in camp. I see his trainings. He got a couple opponents changing, but I think Edson's ready for anybody in the top ten. Was he inspired uh, by your opponent Jose Aldo when Aldo moved down to one thirty-five? He said, "Hey, maybe I can move down too." I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think he 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 wants to give a try. Edson was in the fifty-five for a long time. A lot of challenges. He got a couple upsets, and he he was a little little. Nah, I'm not. I don't want to say his motivation was low, but he wants to new goals. You know, he wants to try something new. And moving down to 45 was good for him. He had a good fight. We all thought he won, and but you know he looked great. Then he gets top 12, and so I, I would picture Edson top 10 in the world, you know, in the featherweight division. Another person that moved down is a former training partner of yours, Frankie Edgar. How did you think he looked against Pedro Munoz in his debut at the bantamweight? He looked good, you know. I thought the fight was close, but uh, I could go either way. And, and I give a lot of respect for Frankie. Frankie's a tough fighter in, in the division too. Absolutely. Frankie's, uh, it's amazing that he's fought in three divisions as well. And was the champion of 55, almost the champion of 45, and now making one last run uh, at 35. 
when, when you look at, uh, at Piotr Jan, the, the new champion, uh, what, what do you think of him? How do you think you would perform against him and uh, what impresses you about him and what do you think is maybe overrated about his game? No, Peter Young is a good fighter, you know. I, I can deny, and uh, we have a great champion, uh, but he's not unbeatable, you know. And I got a lot of toes, and I can do things that a lot of guys cannot. I think I'm a threat for him, and I know one day we're going to square off, and I know I can beat that guy. He's a good fighter, but he's not unbeatable. One thing that's happening right now is that 145 pounds, there's not really a clear next challenger. Do you think now would be a good opportunity for Henry Cejudo to come out of retirement, try to get a third belt? Or do you think another, another training partner of yours, former training partner of yours, Zabit, is in the mix as well? Uh, who would you like to see uh, fight next for Alexander Volkanovsky's featherweight title? Henry is a good fighter, you know. He's a legend. Uh, he could add a lot for the, for the featherweight division. If the UFC thinks he deserves a shot, and they want to give it that to him, uh, would be amazing, you know, good for him too. And I think Henry, to Henry, to, to get Henry back to the octagon, got to be something big. And I think a fight against uh, a featherweight and chasing a third belt, this would be good for him. Would he be big enough to, to compete at 45 uh, as competitively as he has in previous divisions? I don't think he's he's big for the division, but I think he's big enough to compete against Volkanovski. I think that's the perfect timing for him if he wants to get that belt, you know. And I, like you said before, Zabit too is trying to fight, and it would be amazing too if Zabit get the fight. I think this division is is is, is good, man. There's a lot of guys, a lot of new upcoming, and the UFC. They don't stop, man. It's so many good fighters, so many uh, every division, you know. And I'm I'm just grateful to be part of it and to be be able to to perform for the UFC. And do you think it's changing? We we always talk about 55 is the best division in the sport at lightweight. Everybody, uh, you know, they say that's the deepest division. I feel like featherweight and bantamweight are starting to get there too, and they might even be more deep than the uh, the lightweight division and more competitive. Yes, I think that the 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 light they they are they are good everywhere. You know, in the, in the bantamweight division, we don't see one guy you you dimensional with only one uh, only striking or only grappling. You gotta be good everywhere to win about thirty five forty five. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you're a great example of that. Your opponent, Corey Sandhagen, is a good example of that. Piotr Jan's a good example. Sterling's a good example. Like you said, very well-rounded fighters. Uh, well, best of luck to you this Saturday uh, against uh, Corey Sandhagen. I'll let you get some rest. I know you got to rest up uh, in preparation for this event. And uh, I thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much, man. Have a good night. My pleasure. I'm pleased to be joined by the Bengal, the undefeated KB Buller, who's making his UFC debut this weekend against Tom Breeze. Tell me about how this came together. Uh, you were supposed to be on Contender Series. You get a call. What was that like? Walk me through that experience. Um, okay, so I was training my little cousin, Alan Beer. He's a, a 16-year-old, uh, 18-year-old kid, and I just kind of teach him how to box sometimes. And uh, he was at my house. And I was putting him through this run where he has to run like around uh, this like part of a, this part of our neighborhood, and I time him. And so he's doing his lap, and uh, as he was out running, I got a call from my manager Ali Abdelaziz, and Ali's like, 
brother, I have a big opportunity for you. And I'm like, whoa, what is it? And he said, uh, the UFC wants you next week on Fight Island. And I'm like, oh, holy shit. Okay. Um, all right, let's do it. And then, uh, yeah. And then next thing you know, my name was on the, the pay-per-view for the event. And uh, that was the story. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty then cool. My cousin came back in the car and then I was kind of like, my cousin finished the run. He came back in the car and he was like, oh, I'm gassed, man. And I'm like, dude, I have crazy news. And he's like, what is it? And I'm like, I think I just got a call from the UFC. And he's like, what and then we cut the session short and then i let my coaches know and bang that was it that's uh that's pretty remarkable so um you train with uh with teddy ash and tanner bozer is that correct i do yeah so yep. who, who's down there with you right now uh tanner's right here yeah. what's up buddy <laughs> yeah tanner's tanner's here um my uh, my brother Kenny's here with me, and uh, my good friend Danny, he's here too. Great, yeah. So they all they all packed up and, and came with you. So what was their reaction like when you called them? They said, "Okay, let's let's load up." How, how much time did you have to get to, uh, you know, from where you were to Abu Dhabi? Um, see, that was the uh, well. Tanner's first response was, uh, "Holy shit, when do we leave?" <laughs> um, when I told him about the news, and then. Uh, um, I was trying to find out when we left because if the fight was going to be on the third and I found out that Saturday, that meant like we literally had one week to get there, um, which would have been insane. Thankfully, they were able to make some movement happen and got to push the fight to the 10th. But yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was it was hectic getting here. You know, it's like two days quarantine Las Vegas. 20 hours traveling to Abu Dhabi, then another two days you quarantine in Abu Dhabi, and then by now you've lost all sense of time, and you're just living in this limbo, and um, yeah, so, but we're here, we made it. And you were supposed to be on the Contender Series, uh, likely I would imagine this month, but then that got moved to uh, November, so uh, when was that supposed to be, who were you supposed to be facing, what were the details there? Uh, I was supposed to be fighting Jordan Wright in June, um, and then that got scrapped because the pandemic. And then I was supposed to fight um, in, I believe, uh, September, and then it got pushed back to November, and then uh, it all just got kind of scrapped all together, and now we're fighting the UFC. Well, congratulations on that. That's uh, certainly, I, I imagine, what the dream was. Um, let's go back earlier in your career. So you, you started off 3 and, uh, 4 and 0, I guess, and uh, you took a five year leave from the sport from 2013 to 2018 due to a traumatic uh, event that happened to your brother. Can you walk me through what happened there and, uh, and what, what eventually brought you back to the sport? Uh, yeah, my brother, um, my brother in his uh, amateur MMA debut, um, he. He had some uh, some pretty severe uh, injury that happened to him in the first uh, 30 seconds of his fight. Um, there was like a punch exchange that happened between both both fighters, and uh, my brother had compound fractures 
um, on this part of his mandible straight from here right through the teeth and then from here straight to the teeth and all the way through the back end and then another one from here like down by the, the TMJ um, it uh, it just it left a really sour taste in my mouth after because it, it changed my perspective on uh, on the sport it really made me see like kind of the ugly side of this game uh, I, I've told this story in the past but my you know my brother's like like one of my most like he's like my best friend and uh, seeing him go through that in a situation um, where I almost felt like internally that I, I was pushing him towards that. It kind of just left, uh, it, it put MMA in a very dark light in my head for a long time. Um, I just realized like, man, this is what we do to people. Like this is, uh, there's no playfulness about this. Like we really, it's kill or be killed in there. You know, the, the reality of it came like really hard to me. And, um, so I wanted to like kind of push it away for a long time, but like I never really could. It was always, um, it was always there in my life because I couldn't push it away because it was, a, it was the foundation upon which like my, my identity was built as an adolescent. So, um, it always was kind of like MMA was, always a part of my life even as I was trying to push away I was still always training I was still engaged in my training partners training camps and uh eventually I, I found my way back to competing again what sort of an sorry that was a really no no no, no problem at all but what sort of a hurdle did you have to overcome in order to say okay like I'm going to sign a bout agreement I'm going to get back in there and I'm going to resume this um you know like what what in your head did you have to kind of overcome at that at that moment to make that that little leap i mean i'm sure that the whole process was a lengthy process but that last little leap where you actually have to sign the contract and compete like what got you there feeling okay with like just destroying someone else like feeling like being at peace with that realizing that it was necessary to be a fighter but you can't feel empathy all the time there is a sense of ruthlessness that we have to carry and um it's not a sport like it's it's a sport but it's not a sport i kind of had to make uh peace with that so can you expand on that when you say it's it's a sport but it's not a sport like uh how do you rationalize that like it's a it's a sport in the sense that we have all these rules and sanctions that make it a sport, but it's by its nature, like it's, you know, it's a very primal thing. Like it's, it's difficult for human beings to deliberately put themselves in violent situations where they can get severely hurt. Like, it's not a natural thing, and um, we call it a sport, but, you know, this is, it's a form of competition, but, you know, it's fighting. 
did you have to come to peace with the fact that um, you might be put into a position wh- that your brother was put in? Was there was there like a sense of fear that like you know you saw what he went through and you didn't want that to happen to you? It wasn't like necessarily like about myself. It was like it was you got to understand like before that happened, like all my fights before that, like I just kind of would like like I knock people out or like really like badly injure them sometimes like when i fought Derek parker you know i remember going backstage and after the fight i was fine like my knuckles were a bit like swollen from like punches and stuff but like i was okay and i remember i was i was covered in his blood and i was getting backstage and i was like taking off my like my clothes and i was showering and water hit my head and like this dude's blood is like running off my body and I was like, okay with it. Like I didn't think anything of it at that time. And then like, I saw Derek like waiting to get checked out by the doctors. And like, he had like 40 stitches over his eye. He had like a broken nose. His like entire femur was like black and like just, all marked up, beaten up, and then, like, I didn't think twice about that side of the coin. I didn't think twice about, like, the, the, the winning and losing, like, the stark contrast between both is, like, you know, it can often be, like, it's very, very different. You know, winning and losing is very, very different in this game. So once And I forced to, and I was forced to, uh, just confront that that feeling because I, I I started feeling terrible about all that stuff. So now, when you when you get a win, are you still able to put that aside, or do you feel a little bit more empathy, uh, perhaps, for the person that you've just beaten? Uh, I feel uh, absolutely. I feel empathy, but like I have to, I have to put it aside to be able to do what, what I do. Like I can't just. I can't dwell on it and, and, uh, yeah, I can't dwell on it. So for this particular weekend, um, Tom Breeze is a, is a fantastic fighter. Um, I'm very sure good fighter. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you've watched a lot of tape on him. Uh, what kind of a read do you have on, on Tom? I actually just spoke to Tom about, um, I, I guess about an hour ago and, uh, and talked to him about, uh, about this upcoming fight. And he says he's watched a lot of tape on you and sees that you're very talented. So what, what can you tell me about Tom? Uh, Tom's really talented too. He's a, he's a good fighter. You know, he's got, he's got answers everywhere. He's skilled, um, in all assets of the game. I mean, very tough test. It's interesting because the contender series is such like a dog eat dog situation. Like you have to get a finish for the most part, if you want to get a contract or really, you know, dominate your opponent. There's a lot of pressure in that sense. Now that you're in the UFC, I mean, the, the big contrast here is that you have to face somebody who's more established, who's been in the UFC for five years, who's uh, mm-hmm. only lost two fights in the UFC, one of which was a split decision. So the, the competition level is higher, but you don't have that, that pressure of trying to earn a contract. Which situation do you prefer? I don't know, but if it's like if you were going to pursue this in the first place, weren't you expecting that? Weren't you expecting to be up against this style of opposition? I think that as a 
a fighter that's you you should be expecting that that's you, that's a part of the game you know if you're going to be competing in this in this promotion you're going to be up against the best fighters in the world so you know now it's it's at a point where you expect that out of the opposition yeah i mean it's more the uh, the differences between uh, the pressure to get a win and also impress somebody in order to get a contract versus get a win against somebody who is already very established. I mean, those are two kind of different uh, problems to solve. Yeah, sure. I, I, uh, I haven't thought about it that way, but I just thought about winning, like you could win at all costs. Yeah, I guess with that mentality, even in, in, in the contenders' years, if you're going to approach it with that sense, you're probably in a good spot. Um, so uh, for this particular fight, obviously, you're in Abu Dhabi. Uh, before we started this, you mentioned that uh, you know the, the sleep is obviously very different. You're not exactly sure what time you're going to be coming out and fighting. Um, what are you doing to kind of grapple with that as we get closer to fight time? Um, it's kind of like, honestly, waiting for the... Because the routine that they're giving us, well, there is no routine that they're giving us. It's they're making <laughs> they're making it difficult to uh, have a routine because like there's all there's a lot of obligations you obviously got to fulfill, and um, it's kind of difficult to maintain like a steady clock. Like you kind of just got to like take little mini naps in between and hope that you can get some rest and then like try and scrounge up as many hours you have at the end of the day, rest and refuel and recover and then get back at it again. Like it's, you're you're just kind of taking it as it comes. And how much weight uh, did you have to cut from when you got this fight until I guess this coming Friday? Uh, I was in peak shape. Like, when I got the announcement because I was preparing for the, the contender series fight. So with that fight originally being on September 27th, I was like, uh, you know, I was walking around about like 199, 200. And then, uh, like, yeah, like, so I was, I was in, I was in peak condition and I was good to go, which made it all the more easier to, to take the, to take the fight. Yeah, I guess a lot of the times when you take a short-notice fight, you're in suboptimal shape uh, in terms of weight cutting. But uh, in this situation, like you said, you were already kind of in a training camp, so uh, that made that uh, this a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, it made it easier. Just if you're always if you're always ready, you don't have to get ready. Well, it's certainly um, uh, fantastic to have another Canadian in the UFC, uh, undefeated one like yourself. Uh, and I appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this, and uh, and best of luck on Saturday against Tom Breeze. Thank you very much. I'm pleased to be joined now by Tom Breeze, who faces Canadian KB Buller at UFC Fight Night this weekend in Abu Dhabi. How are you enjoying the experience so far out on Fight Island? Uh, I don't know if you've been to Abu Dhabi before. I know you do a lot of grappling tournaments, so perhaps you have. But uh, how has this experience been for you? Uh, yeah, it's been good. I, I was out here in, um, in, in, in July. Uh, and I've been I've been here for three weeks now. So um, to be honest, it's like a really fancy, really fancy prison. <laughs> there's like there's not much you can do here, really. You're stuck in the hotel. You're in a bubble. You're not allowed out to many places. So um, it's quite limited what you can do. But you know, I stay focused on the task at hand, and and uh, it's almost been like a a, a mini training camp. Well, it's been a, a short notice fight for you against uh, KB Buller. What do you know about KB? 
uh, from what you've seen. I guess if you got here three weeks ago, you probably had a different opponent when you landed in Abu Dhabi, and now you have another opponent. Yes, I was initially supposed to fight Roman Kopilov, um, but uh, I believe one of his team tested positive for COVID, so that fight got removed, and uh, you know, KB took the fight on short notice. So, um, yeah, it's, it's good. Uh, I've studied a few of his fights, checked him out. Um, I'm looking forward to the challenge. A couple of years ago, I guess it was probably before Rory McDonald faced uh, Stephen Thompson. Faraz Zahabi was at TSN, and I was chatting with him, uh, you know, over over to the side when uh, when Rory was doing some hits. And I said, uh, "Hey, who do you have at TriStar that you think could be a future champion one day?" And he said, "Tom Breeze." Your name came up. Um, you've been in the UFC for about five years. What do you think it's been that has hampered you from from getting into the upper echelon of uh, both the welterweight and uh, now the middleweight division where you compete? Um, you know, it's many experiences you know and and uh to be honest i'm i'm just grateful for the for the challenges that that i've faced um they've, they've made me better and uh you know I'm, I'm the fighter i am today because of it um you know that in the ufc you are against the best of the best and and it's a it's a great opportunity to be here what's your most memorable moment so far in, in the five years you've had in the ufc um it's hard to pick one, you know. They've all they've all been they've all been great experiences. They've all been valuable. Um, I think my, probably my performance in in Dublin, Ireland, that was a definitely definitely a, a, a fun experience, you know. And uh, it, it was a great experience, um, you know, the, the atmosphere with the Irish crowd and and stuff like that. Especially uh, you know walking out to the to the to the um, octagon and being booed and stuff. It, it was cool. I, I, it was fun. But Brazil was great and. You know, I've had many good experiences. Hard to pick one. Now you're back uh, in Birmingham. Uh, you uh, trained with Leon Edwards, and it seems like he's not getting a, much of a fair shake lately. It seems nobody wants to face him, uh, and he doesn't really want to face the lower echelon of the division as you know, as a result of beating top names. Uh, tell me about Leon and, and his state right now in the UFC. Um, yeah, he's on an eight-fight win streak. You know, he's doing he's doing really well. Uh, being able to train with him is brilliant. You know, I, I can, he, he's making improvements all the time. Um, I think he's just waiting for for you know, for a, for a good opportunity, um, I feel like the guys in the top four they don't they don't want to fight him for some reason. You know, I think they're looking for for paydays. Um, but in my opinion, Leon's Leon's earned his uh, shot at the title. Um, eight eight fight win streaks, no joke. You know, so yeah, especially in that division. Uh, is is there anybody that you would exactly. pre- that you would like to see him face? If you if you could pick, hand pick an opponent for him, who would you like to see uh, him face next? I'd like to see him fight uh, Usman, ideally for the title. If not Usman, Masvidal. I think, I think especially with what happened, they have unfinished business. Um, and uh, you know, I think uh, Masvidal gained a lot of popularity from that. So it's only you know, it's only right Leon uh, gains back some popularity, you know, through beating Masvidal. Yes, that's definitely a fair point. Uh, certainly, yes. an unforeseen circumstance that that gave uh, Jorge a bit of a platform. Uh, yes. So, for yourself, you've talked openly about uh, struggling with anxiety in the past, and it's it's affected you on on fight days during fight weeks. What have you done to uh, get that under control? I'm somebody who has uh, suffered from anxiety disorder myself, and I'm just curious as to how you've grappled with that throughout your career. Yeah, um, I think a lot of negative self-talk impacts, you know. And that builds and you can easily become depressed through negative self-talk. I think our daily self-talk is important. You know, we all we all talk to ourselves. We all have conversations with ourselves. We, we need to be positive with that self-talk. And, and also hard training. You know, I, I train really hard. It, you know, it gives me confidence every day. 
training hard and, and um, I, I recommend hard training for everyone. You know, it, it, chase the greatest version of yourself. What, what's the worst um, instance of it that you had encountered while you've been in the UFC? Um, I don't know. It, it, it built, you know, a lot of sleepless nights that, you know, that build and depression. It, you know, it's it's a, it's a bit of a deep subject, but um, you know, like I say, negative self-talk is where it starts, and it, and it can get deeper from there. Have you gone to sports psychologists to deal with it? Like, what's what's been the the key for you to to reverse the negative self-talk? Um, self-education. You know, I, I started studying a lot of different philosophies and reading a lot of different philosophers and and um, just educating myself and. And uh, getting different opinions from from these great minds, you know, and uh, it, it's really helped. And also valuing external things less, you know, the most important is the internal. And and life's an opportunity for us all, you know. We live in flow, enjoy the moment, be present. Don't worry about the past or the future. So for you, is it a disorder? Or is it like the, you know, grappling with wanting to be the best all the time, wanting to be the best version of yourself, wanting to beat, um, you know, another human being in competition and just the, just the pressures of that kind of compounding on you? Yeah, possibly that. Um, I mean, I've always been a bit of a thinker, but um, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't know whether it's a disorder or not. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't go and get, I haven't spoken to a medical professional or anything like that, but um, I'm just aware of these things a lot more now, you know, and um, I'm glad these things have happened because they've forced me to grow these challenges. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. So going into this fight, do you have a clear head? It's, it's been, it's been, um, you know, oh, an easier yes, fight week. Yeah. I'm the best version of myself up to date. You know, I have a very, like I say, these these struggles are, 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 have made me become a better version of myself, and my outlook on things is is much improved. And you know, you know for fighting in the octagon it's a, it's a it's a time of prayer you know it's a it's a what an opportunity all my hard work that I, I work every day for now i get to showcase it and uh you know and be in the moment and 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 play with my skills you know it's 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 not a negative thing it's it's a like i say it's a it's a time of play it's 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 brilliant i can't wait your last fight against Brandon Allen, I mean, your first loss in the UFC to Sean Strickland was a split decision. You can always walk away with that being like, ah, well, it was close. I probably won that one. You know, split decisions are often in, in the person on the wrong side of it. They feel like they probably won, and I, I think that's fair. But uh, with Brandon Allen, it's your first, like, you know, loss inside the distance. What did you learn from that particular experience? Oh, I learned a lot, you know. Um, many things, many things. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here to make any excuses or, or, or anything like that, so... All I'll say is the best man won on the night. I went back to the gym very motivated, made a lot of improvements, and, and I'm here now, like I say, the best version of myself, ready to uh, test myself on Saturday night. Would it have been possible for you to be the best, pers- uh, the best version of yourself at 170 pounds? It seems like you're quite content being at middleweight now. Yeah, one, 170 was a struggle, you know, because I'm, I'm six foot three and I walk around about 205 pounds. Um, you know, I started mixed martial arts at a young age, and uh, I made my professional debut at 18. So, from from 18 to, to being 29 now, you know, obviously I've grown as an athlete, and uh, yeah, just 170 is uh, unrealistic for me to compete at, especially to be an active fighter. So, is it a much easier cut for you now? Like, is fight week a lot? You know, a lot of people say the the they have a lot more stress and. 
um, problems with the first battle, which is making the weight, than they do this, the actual competition. Uh, so now that you have that a little bit, uh, you know, easing that burden a little bit, has it made it a lot easier for you during fight week? It has, but I used, I used to enjoy the challenge of making weight. I used to, I used to gain a, you know, I used to find it very fun, and uh, yeah, it, it, I enjoyed the test. Um, but the brilliant thing about moving up to middleweight is I get to really, you know, focus and 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 improve and as an athlete. I don't have to worry about making weight. I can, I can focus on putting muscle on, putting mass on. You know, I'm, I'm a, I really enjoy training in gymnastics, so I'm able to excel in that and and not worry about putting muscle on. In fact, I, I, I'm, I'm focusing on getting bigger at the weight, stronger at the weight, becoming a better athlete. You know, I've heard uh, that from a, a former training partner of yours, Elias Theodoro. He used to walk around to like 220. And I'd be like, why do you cut to 185? It's such a big cut. And he goes, I love it. I just, I find it so challenging and, uh, and enjoyable. And I've, I've made it into a real like system. And I, I just find that, you know, mind boggling uh, as somebody who doesn't cut weight. There was some, there's something about it. There's, I don't, the adrenaline, the, the endorphins. And then when you have that first sip of water, you're so grateful to have that, you know, it's such a great feeling. You, and, and you're proud of yourself for overcoming, you know, overcoming yourself and, and, and getting down, you know. I fasted for 24 hours for religious reasons, so I can sort of relate to that. And probably not as much as somebody who's cutting weight, but I can, I can, I, I can hear what you're saying there. Elias said it, it felt like a spiritual experience for him uh, in terms of cutting weight. 100%, yeah, exactly. That's a spiritual experience. You, you know, you're there battling your, your own mind. And, uh, you know, I had, I've had some real, real tough weight cuts, and, uh, but, but I, you know, I'll, I'll never forget them and... and as Elias says, yeah, they are very, very spiritual. Well, Tom, it's great catching up with you, and uh, I look forward to seeing you compete uh, the best version of yourself, as you say, this uh, weekend against KB Buller at uh, UFC Fight Night in Abu Dhabi. Thank you. Thank you. He is the host of the World's Most Dangerous Podcast, a fitting name for the World's Most Dangerous Man. He is Ken Shamrock, and he joins us now. Uh, Ken, thanks for taking the time. Hey, thank you for having me. So I'm seeing you still doing all kinds of aerial maneuvers, actually probably more than you used to do when you were in the WWE. Uh, now you're with TNA Wrestling. Uh, how, how do you rationalize that? I mean, at your age, it's it's rare to see high flyers in wrestling. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I, I just don't see myself as my age, I guess. I, I uh, kind of do things that I feel comfortable and I feel free and I feel excited and and uh so i like i said i don't put boundaries um on myself but i, I think that's kind of what's kind of what's wrong with things right it's just like everything is kind of put into brackets and we're supposed to do certain things and and so people are just kind of doing that with me i don't i don't want to put myself in a bracket i just want to go out and live free and have fun how do you manage pain i've always said you know, people ask what the most dangerous sport is. They say, you know, is it pro football? Is it mixed martial arts, boxing? I always say it's pro wrestling because of the uh, the sheer volume of, uh, of, I guess, damage that accumulates over the course of a year. There's no breaks in pro wrestling. And people often scoff at that. But do you agree with that? I do. People ask me which where I got hurt the most at. Was it, was it uh, fighting Noel's bar or was it wrestling? And I always tell them wrestling. And they're like, like, like shocked. And it was like, listen, in wrestling, I was good. And when I fought... You know, I was good. But in wrestling, no matter how good I was, I still had to give you my body. 
and you had to slam me and break chairs on my face and break chairs over my back. And I had to go from a 10 foot place down to a, down to a platform. And, and there's no stunt that's going to stop you from hitting that. It's just learning how, but you got to do that over and over again in a week. Cause you're doing three or four shows a week. And so in fighting, I go out there and I could take a guy out in a minute and 45 seconds. It's like no damage to my body. So um, for me personally, I got more damage in pro wrestling because in pro wrestling, there were certain things that you were required to do. And in fighting, if I wanted to go out there and beat a guy in 30 seconds or a minute and 45 seconds, I could do that. And therefore, there was hardly any damage. I often say that wrestling is a sport and people laugh at me, pro wrestling and people laugh at me because they say the outcomes are whatever predetermined. But I always say that to become the champion of whatever it is, the WWE, TNA, uh, AEW, you have to be good. You have to be a good wrestler. You have to be good on the mic. So it is still a competition to determine who the best is because they don't just let anybody become the champion. It's very difficult. Uh, it's a difficult process. And uh, it's hard to explain it to people because unless you understand it and have been a part of it, you wouldn't understand the difficulties. There is so much to pro wrestling that you have to conquer. And, you know, when you're talking about, you know, cut promos, some people are not very good on the mic. So therefore they have to find ways to get their message across and their character across without being very skilled on the mic. Uh, and then when you get into the ring, you've got to be very athletic. You've got to be able to do things that most human beings can't do. And then when you do those things, you have to learn how to take care and protect your body because now you're rolled up as an actor because you're, you're a character, but now you're also a stuntman, which in my opinion, is probably one of the most dangerous things to do because of stunts that are that you have to that sometimes you're required to jump out of a 10-story building or run a car into a wall at 80 miles an hour. Um, so you're you're you now you got an athlete and a stuntman rolled up into one to be able to be successful at pro wrestling. And on top of it, that acting has to come out too. And then when you talk about just the pure um, feeling of being able to feel a crowd, to know when it, you're able to do something to make the crowd, crowd pop, or in our expression, make them cheer, um, and the ups and downs that you're doing in a story with different moves and holds to either hold the audience in suspense or to pop the audience in the finish. So it, there's so much involved in pro wrestling to be great that it's just something that you when you try to explain it to someone, they don't fully grasp all of it. So, like I said, trying to explain it is very difficult. People really understand how hard it really is. But the people that are inside the business that understand the business know exactly what it is I'm talking about. Now, the last time we spoke, you were in Toronto. We did an interview with me in studio, and you told me uh, off the air that you were going to start your own bare-knuckle boxing organization. You have since done that, Valor BK. Uh, and one thing that, again, we are in agreement with is that I think bare-knuckle boxing is less dangerous than pro boxing, kickboxing, and pro MMA because without the gloves, you can't hit as fast. You can't hit as hard, uh, and, and people don't realize that. But why do you think people have such a visceral response to bare-knuckle fighting? It seems like a very primitive thing that people can't quite wrap their head around. Well, that's the same thing I just explained to you about trying to explain to people why wrestling is so hard. It's, it's because they're, they're uneducated. They don't understand it. And uh, that's the same thing with bare knuckle. But 
with bare knuckle, I believe we'll be able to educate people just like we did in the earlier days with the um, UFC when it was no holes barred. We were able to educate people on the submissions and the style of it to where people naturally understand that those that those are the baddest men, not boxers, not karate. You know, these are the baddest guys. Uh, but it was education for a long period of time to help people understand what it is that they were doing. And I think it's the same thing with this. It's really just being able to have a bunch of fights, have people actually see it and see the damage that's done to some of these guys that are trying to swing for the fences and they miss and they break their hand. They may win that fight, but they're not coming back for six months or eight months. And if they do, they're probably going to break their hand again because now they're susceptible to a broken hand. So uh, really what bare knuckle is truly about is basically in in the very early days, it was a gentleman's sport or a gentleman's event where two people would get in there and they would fight one another. But there, And people say when people fight like this that, that that's crazy. Those guys are unorthodox. They don't fight like that anymore. And the reason why they don't fight like that anymore is because now when you put gloves on them, now they can turn their hands up and now they can throw overhand punches and he hits you in forehead and top of the head, not break their hand. But back in the bare knuckle days, when they were fighting, they wouldn't fight this way and throw punches like this because that's the hard surface. So they would punch this way upward because that's the soft area, which is the neck and the chin. So this is why you've seen those guys in the old days where they put their foot on the line, they fought bare knuckle. They fought like this because it protected their hands from this, hitting the top of the head or the side of the head, up punches this way, catches all of this which is the soft area. So there's a lot of education that goes into teaching the fans and fighters that when they come into the bare knuckle um, surface, that there's a lot of things they don't understand. That's why you see boxers getting beat by people who are just street fighters because boxers come in and they fight like this and they don't know how to actually connect to that soft tissue. They wrap their hands. Now all of a sudden they're breaking them. They have bigger surfaces to be able to cover punches. Now they don't have that surface. So every punch is going to get in. So the education for everyone who isn't involved in bare knuckle, including fans is going to be an educational process as we move forward. And there's some out there that are, that are doing it right now. We did one show then we held up because of the coronavirus. It slowed everything down. But we will be back at it in 2021, either the end of 2020 or the early part of 2021. We will have another Valor bare knuckle, and we will bring the same intensity and the same professionalism as we did in our first one. I like that you're bringing a lot of the legends back, a lot of the names um, from yesteryear in terms of MMA. It seems like they're still eager to compete, and you've given them a platform to compete. Uh, are there any names for next year that you're, you've been in? contact with that we might be seeing uh, in Valor? Just know this, that um, we've contacted a lot of people and we've contacted ones that are kind of sometimes even outside the box um, because bare knuckle is so, it's like the early days of, of the UFC when, when no one knew what to expect. It's the same thing here, whereas you can literally go out and find somebody who is, is a, a, a boxer in England or, or a tough guy over here or, or even an actor who was a street fighter, a tough guy. We want people to come in and that actually have the experience and understanding of what it's, what it's like to fight bare knuckle. And what we want to do is we want to put style against style. So what we want to do is maybe have a boxer or a kickboxer or an MMA guy or maybe just a street fighter that's actually done street fights, like some of these things you see on these social media sites where they're getting huge population because they're out there just throwing down. 
bringing some of those guys in. So we are going to build a card that's going to be exciting and fun and versatile. And what are the places where you can still hold these events? Because I know that, I mean, it's like, like you mentioned, the early days of MMA, you have to approach governing bodies or find areas where you are able to hold these events legally. Yeah, we're working on that. There's a bunch of states that have opened up right now. Not, I shouldn't say a bunch, a few states that have opened up that we are definitely talking to. As me and you are sitting here right now, uh, we have people out actually putting contracts together so that we can move forward in the beginning of next year with no issues of being able to have venues. You released a book uh, called Shamrock, written by Jonathan Snowden and yourself, obviously. Uh, is there anything in that book that you had never revealed prior to when that book was released? Uh, I think it was pretty open. I mean, there wasn't too much. I didn't write the book, by the way. That was Jonathan, and Jonathan asked me if I uh, would call up a, a, a bunch of the guys to be able to speak freely, because when Jonathan and I approached the book, um, I asked him if he would do it, and he said yes, as long as he had freedom, and I said absolutely. And he said it would be difficult, so you're going to have to let your guys, you know, talk. And so I did call them because they would call me and go, hey, this guy wants to – I said, listen – uh, tell them as much as you guys are feel you feel comfortable telling them. And I want it to be real. Don't 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 sugarcoat it for me because uh, I want this to be real because it's got to be something that people can relate to, understand, and even at times be almost to a point to where it's hard to read. But the ending is what counts. And um, so I was I was I was very happy with some parts of the book, but others because of the coronavirus, Jonathan had to get it out quick didn't give me a chance to really read it, to be able to, to proofread it and make sure everything was correct in it. Um, so there were some things in there that, that, that weren't accurate. But, you know, like I said, 95% of that book is accurate. It's very good. What in the book uh, do you feel was not represented properly? Uh, I, 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 I'd rather not go there uh, just because Jonathan did such a great job, I think, on the book, even though there were some mistakes in it. I don't want I don't want to. I just don't want to go there and put any uh, any any kind of darkness over the book. But there's nothing you take exception to in particular. It's just some some factual errors. Yeah, factual errors. Just different things that were done that should have been. Um, it, I should have been able to read it so that way I could have said, "Hey, that didn't happen. I can prove it." So stuff like that. Yeah. So you're you're back in in the pro wrestling game. You have been for some time with uh, with TNA wrestling. Uh, the the pay per view event that you're going to be on. Uh, give me some. I don't know if it's pay per view or on Access TV, but if you can give me some details on it, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, on Impact. Yeah, on Impact. Sorry, I, yeah, I, it's yeah. not called TNA wrestling anymore, is it? It's called Impact Wrestling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, I guess they're one and the same. But yeah, Impact Wrestling. Um, it's the 24th of October. I, I believe it's 24, 23rd or 24th. Um. And uh, it's Bound for Glory. It was a year ago that I actually made my debut uh, against Moose. And uh, it's been, I've had an exciting run. Um, I, I felt rejuvenated. I had gone to Medellin, Colombia, did some bioaccelerators uh, to, to, I heard all kinds of amazing things about it. You know, it's magical. And of course, you know, you hear those things, yeah, whatever, but I'll go try it. So I went and did it and it was magical. Um, it literally gave me a boost, uh, energy, uh, body felt great. Um, and I, and I also, at the same time, took some time off from training, which really helped me, uh, recover. And ever since that, man, I feel like I'm capable of doing everything and even more than I did when I was younger. It's interesting that Medellin, Colombia has become kind of this epicenter for science. Like they've got all of these different STEM treatments. It's become this hub. I mean, usually if you've watched Narcos, you know what Medellin, Colombia is known for. But <laughs> it seems like uh, it's become a real uh, scientific hub for some really progressive uh, treatments, like you mentioned. 
Well, that's because there's a lot of money there because of the drug business, right? So can you imagine the amount of money they have to be able to explore on different things, to be able to just shove money into different things to figure out whether they work or not? So this has been very, uh, very exciting. And um, of course, you want, like I did, you always want to check and make sure that they're credible and that, you know, they're not uh, choosing you as a guinea pig. So um, I did a a lot of research on it and did a lot of uh, fact checking. Uh, to make sure I wasn't walking into uh, uh, being a pincushion and a guinea pig. and But uh, I was really, really excited. Now that I've done it, uh, it's awesome and, and uh, very fortunate that I was able to do that. So anybody that's thinking about it, man, I, I'm just saying, uh, of course, here in the States, it's a little different because they're a little bit regulated on how many stem cells they can give you. But over there, they really just give you as much as you need. So um, I was fortunate to do that and uh, very happy. I, like I said, I'm, I'm coming up on uh, uh, Bound for Glory a year from, uh, you know, a year from my, my actual appearance in Impact. Now I'm doing it again here in Impact. And I feel good, man. I feel like I've got so much more to, to actually, uh, I got more to do, man. And I'm excited. So what happens during the treatment? How is it done? Well, I mean, uh, I go. I, I was there for, I think, a week. So there's different stages that you go through. There's a lot of... Um, uh, uh, info that they're, they're, they're gathering as you go to diff- different doctor visits throughout the week. They take your blood, they do different things. And then I had the last uh, uh, four days before you leave, uh, two days you go in and they actually put them back into your body. And not only through a fluid, like a bag, uh, they put them in there, but then they also do it through the blood. So there's like two different um um, one surgery, but then there's two different procedures they do besides the surgery to get those stem cells back in your body. And then you're, I was really sore, like, like I'd been kicked all over my body. And I was just like, I had contusions everywhere cause I was just so sore. Um, but after about, uh, 48 hours before I got back on the plane, I started feeling better. And then it, it usually takes, you know, uh, each week you get a little bit better, but it's a process of almost an eight month process for all those cells to actually release into your body and start working at its full. But you start actually feeling things within four weeks to six weeks, and it gradually keeps getting better through each month. That's pretty incredible. Wow. Uh, yeah. It does sound like that, that would be great for people that want to have recovery or, or give their body a bit of a second chance. Uh, and finally, before I let you go, I, I, I would love to ask you about mixed martial arts and, and the state of mixed martial arts. You've been there since the beginning. What do you like about the current state of mixed martial arts, and what do you dislike about it? What I like about it is the that it's growing. Like it, it continues to keep staying strong. What I dislike about it is is that it's it's growing and it's it's staying strong, but it's the same. There's it seems like they're not allowing controversy. They're not allowing fighters to be fighters. Uh, we can't play God, right? You can't go well. Uh, I don't want you to act like this or do this or push the envelope because we don't want you doing that. You can't uh, do so. The thing about boxing and MMA and football, the reason why people get so tuned in on it is because of those villains, the people that go sometimes push the envelope, uh, push the line. Obviously, we don't want to get hurt, like throwing a chair at a bus or, or drugs or things of that nature. Yeah, I get that. But as far as controversy, uh, physical scuffles, things that get in other people's faces, talking trash, all that stuff, man, is just to me, it's part of fighting. It's part of good guy, bad guy stuff. 
And it seems like everybody's being coached and manipulated into being one thing and and not being the rebel and being good and following the rules. And then it just gets to be repetition. And now you've got six fights in one week that you can watch on TV and there's nothing different about any of them. So it just seems to be a repetition of everything's just being the same. And I just like to see more color and more character. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think it is a little bit too sanitized. You know, you don't allow people to do uh, anything different in their in, their entrances or uh, at the weigh-ins. Weigh-in, you know, people want to wear costumes. They want to stand out. They want to do things that will make them more than just whatever their name is. But it seems like for whatever reason, and I don't know if it's just a corporate thing or they want to make it seem more mainstream, they seem to want to be taking a little bit of the color out of the sport in that regard. I think they're afraid. They're afraid that they somebody may say something or do something that's going to get them in trouble. And uh, it, it, when you start doing that, man, then you, then you start becoming a puppet. Uh, you you got to take chances. You got to allow people to be people. And you can't be God. You can't try to make somebody behave. Um, they're going to do what they do. And then they have to suffer those consequences. Now, you can definitely talk to them and say, listen, we don't want you to do this uh, because – this is what's going to happen whenever it comes to drugs or whenever it comes to endangering other people. But when it comes to the fighters themselves and they get into fisticuffs, or they get in people's face, they start talking trash. I think that's all part of fighting. That's all part of, of a game plan of trying to beat your opponent before you get in a ring. And these, these are things that I think that they're taking out of fighting because they're afraid that they may cross the line. But, but you can't be afraid. It's, it's just like terrorism, right? I mean, if you're afraid to go anywhere or to do anything because somebody says they're going to blow something up, they won. The terrorists, they win. So it's almost like the same thing. Not, not I don't want to box it into the, the violence and people dying or anything like that. But I want to say the kind of the fear part of the fighters of losing their job because if they don't follow the rules or because if they get in somebody's face, because if they – act who they are and let their anger come out or let their frustration come out, that they'll lose their job. And to me, that's part of fighting. That's part of, of, of what fans are looking for is that, 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 that wreck, that explosion. Well, if there's anyone who knows anything about longevity in combat sports, it's you. Uh, I always appreciate your time, and uh, best of luck with everything. Looking forward to seeing you on uh, Impact Wrestling, not TNA Wrestling. i got to live in the, the present, <laughs> not the past. Uh, and we'll, we'll check that out on October 24th. Uh, thanks for your time, Ken. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. God bless. Thanks for tuning in to the TSN MMA Show. We'll be back tomorrow dropping a new show with myself and Bazooka Joe Valtellini talking about all of the different news, notes, stories, recaps, previews in the world of MMA. Always appreciate you listening and appreciate the time of our guests, George St. Pierre, Corey Sandhagen, Marlon Moraes, KB Buller, Tom Breeze, and Ken Shamrock. And uh, until tomorrow... Enjoy your day, and uh, always appreciate you tuning into the TSN MMA show. Again, please feel free to send me your feedback on social media, at Aaron Bronstetter on Twitter, at A. Bronstetter on Instagram, and thanks for tuning in.